You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. So we're in the book of Colossians, and uh, we're finishing this up today. And uh, if you're actually part of our Wednesday night study, in a couple weeks we'll be finishing up the book of Ephesians. That's fairly efficient considering how we went through the book of Acts for almost 14 months last year. And so uh, we're doing pretty good. Four weeks, four chapters, so not so bad. So we're glad that you're here with us today. And so you can already go ahead and turn there ahead of time. And I'll just be kind of just pointing out some things that I notice here as I look at the book of Colossians. Um, You know, it starts off, as we read chapter 4, it starts off with uh, Paul talking about the treatment of slaves by their masters. Now, it's important to note here that slavery is not something the Apostle Paul condoned. But keeping in mind that this letter was written to Gentile believers, not Jewish believers, because uh, Jewish believers were forbidden from having slaves. And um, at this time in the Roman Empire, it might seem crazy to think about, but over 80% of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. So that means the majority of people that were in the Roman Empire were slaves of some sort. So... Uh, this is something that will take time to change. You know, Paul talks about calls on slaves and masters to show Christian principles in their relationship and trying to change the institution from within. Unfortunately, the verse is found at the end of Colossians 3 and the beginning of Colossians 4 were used by many in the 1800s to justify slavery in the U.S. But that's actually not the intention of what Paul was writing it for. He was not looking to justify slavery, but encourage slaves and masters to treat each other with respect. Now, my message isn't about slavery today, so before you check out on me, I just wanted to address what is there at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. So please understand that like, sometimes it's very easy for us to skip over parts that are difficult or don't apply to us, but it's good to acknowledge them there. Now, why does he write about this? Well, Paul befriends a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. And uh, during his time under house arrest, uh, Onesimus helps him out by bringing him supplies and transporting letters for him of his own free will to try and help things out. And Paul actually encourages Onesimus to go back to his master, and he writes a letter to his master to encourage him to try and uh, heal the rift and to treat each other better, instead of treating each other like master and slave, but rather as brothers in Christ. And that's where we get the book of Philemon from. Now, uh, Paul even calls Onesimus a faithful brother. He doesn't treat him like a servant or a slave. He treats him as an equal brother in Christ with him. It's important to note that Onesimus, along with Tychicus and Epaphras, were also ones that helped Paul deliver the letters that he wrote while he was under house arrest to the area churches. And his closing thoughts to the church of Colossae, I noticed that there's something very interesting here. There's three things I want to take note of. Before we get into what I'm going to talk about, I just want to mention these in passing because they're important for us to note. The first thing is that Paul thanks those who helped him during his house arrest. How many know it's important to have people on the outside if you're in jail, okay? You know, not so much so like in America, because in America you get your three square meals a day, you get a nice, warm, clean bed, you get free cable. 
I'm not advocating for as though you should go there. But in other parts of the world, you know, places like Bolivia and others, like unless you have family to come in and take care of you, you starved, you did without, and you, you barely got by. And so Paul is here in a rented house of his own. He is under lock and key. He is under guard. And so it's important that he has people that come and support him. And these people helped him get the message out. Always thank those who help you, especially those in ministry. He mentions some new names as well as some familiar ones. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, along who were with Paul during his ministry in Ephesus. In Acts, John Mark, who is the nephew of Barnabas and also wrote the Gospel of Mark. Epaphras, a teacher and leader in the Colossian church. Luke, a doctor who accompanied Paul during all of his missionary journeys and wrote them all down. Paul, I mean, Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also mentions Demas, a man who would later abandon him and betray him. And Nympha, a woman who had a church in her home. And Archippus. So sometimes we're like, well, why, why mention these names? I can't even pronounce them. Like, why are they in there? Because it's important for us to recognize those who help us to achieve what God wants to do in our lives and develop an attitude of gratitude towards those around you, that they're not just people that help you accomplish something, but they are friends and co-laborers in Christ. The second thing I also noticed is that he mentions a church that is somewhat familiar and has somewhat of a reputation, and he says that th- this letter needs to be read in, this, in the presence of this church, and he mentions the church of Laodicea. Now, Paul's letters were often circular letters. In other words, he wrote them, and they were meant to be brought from church to church and read because they had things to do with doctrine. They had the things to do with personal behavior that were important for the church to know. Laodicea is one of the seven churches in Asia Minor mentioned in the book of Revelation. And when Jesus addresses the church in Laodicea, his words to them are not good. He says to them in Revelation 3, 14 through 17, the things he has against the Laodicean church is that they're lukewarm, wealthy, but they're spiritually blind and naked. And Jesus tells them to change or he will spit them out of his mouth and essentially have nothing to do with them. So it appears as though Paul intended this letter, the letter to the Colossians, also to be read in Laodicea. And that there was also a letter written to the Laodicean church of which has been lost to time. I don't know if that's because the Laodicean church says, we're good, we don't need anything, and threw it away, or if they just simply ignored it. And so understanding that we have... Paul thanking those who helped him. He mentions a church that had a bad reputation and that needed help, that needed to be read to it. But there's another thing that I want us to focus on in this chapter, and I want us to draw our attention to it because it's the focus of my message today. It's found in verses 2 through 6. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. It's a little bit clearer in this version for our understanding today. So if you'll look in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verse 2. Hopefully you can read it on the screen behind me. If not, just use your listening ears and pretend I'm reading you a bedtime story, okay? Beginning in verse 2 of chapter 4, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, 
that I might make it clear in the way that I ought to proclaim it. Conduct yourselves, therefore, with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Your speech must be always with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. Notice what he says there in verse 3. Praying at the same time for us as well that God would open up a door for the word. So the third thing I noticed today is that Paul asked for believers to pray for an open door for them to speak the word. He's praying for an open door, but he's not praying for an open door like let me escape imprisonment. He's not saying, okay, buzz the uh, little buzzer that, that opens the little latch that he can slide the bars open so he can make a break for it. He's not talking about physically being released from his imprisonment, although I'm sure he prayed for that as well. He's not looking for an escape door. He's looking for a different kind of door. He knows that he cannot go anywhere. Remember, this is very interesting that Paul is saying, pray for me for an open door, keeping in mind that Paul's under house arrest. He cannot leave. So what open door is he talking about? Bless you. He's praying that there would be an open door for people to come to him and for the word to be able to be preached. Now, what is an open door? An open door is an opportunity. Open doors are opportunities. Opportunities, we've all had them in our lives, and sometimes we've missed them. Sometimes we seize upon the opportunity, and other times we let it pass us by. Then we act on them, and when we do, we feel grateful that we had that opportunity. And when we let it pass us by, we feel a sense of regret and remorse. It's kind of like when you see a sale online or on Amazon, or you're walking through the store, and you say, wow, that's a really good deal. But you're like, maybe I should buy it, maybe I shouldn't. But you hesitate, and you go, you know, I'm sure it will be there later. And then you go back later, you check online later, and either they don't have it in your size because you're not an extra small and it doesn't fit you, even if you ordered that, that particular style of shirt. Or you go back to where it was, and even if it was like you went on your lunch break and you went at the end of your, your work day, like I'm going to pick that up after my work day is over, and you go in there and they're all sold out. How do you know that's a good opportunity, a good deal? is because when it's too good to be true and you pass on it, you regret it later. Like, man, I wish I had picked that up when I had picked that up. Some of you who are looking at buying houses, you're like, I wish I bought a house two years ago instead of right now because you're like, I can't afford that. Now, what is an opportunity? An opportunity is defined as an occasion or situation that makes it possible to do something that you want or that you have to do or the possibility of doing something, a chance to do something. Opportunity is also defined as favorable circumstances and a chance for advancement, kind of like in a job. So if an opportunity presents itself and you hesitate, sometimes you don't get that opportunity again. It was kind of a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Most people spend their lives waiting for an opportunity or hesitate when one comes along. Can I encourage you to do that today? It's like we need to understand is that one... You know, when the Lord provides opportunities to us, we cannot hesitate in those situations where we need to make a decision. We must be willing to act on those decisions and not drag our feet. You can spend your whole life in the middle if you're not careful. 
You can spend your whole life in neutral, waiting for opportunities that may never come or passing on the opportunities that are presented to you. You have to come to a place of decision. Thinking about opportunities, Tom Peters said, if a window of opportunity appears, don't pull down the shade. Right? If something comes up, it's like you can either look at it and go, oh, okay, or you can just kind of say, okay, well, I don't really need that right now, and you regret it. Stephen Hogan says, most people miss great opportunities because of their misconception of time. Don't wait. The time will never be just right to do something. There are times where you're like, well, when everything's perfect, then I'll do this. When everything's perfect, I'll have children. When we're financially secure in our marriage, then we'll have kids. I got news for you. You will never be in a situation where you're financially secure enough where where children are going to be convenient. And if you were financially secure before you had children, guess what's going to happen after you have children? You are no longer financially secure. So there's no perfect scenario in which you can say, well, when everything's perfect, when everything's right, then I will act on those things. And the truth is, you'll miss out on some wonderful blessings in your life like children. I like my children. Don't think otherwise, okay? But there's never a perfect time for certain things, and you just have to be willing to go forward with that. William Arthur Ward said that opportunities are like sunrises. If you wait too long, you will miss them. The Apostle Paul looked at every situation as an opportunity for God to use him. And then he asked them to pray for more open doors for them to share Christ. What would happen if you prayed for more opportunities? What would happen if you prayed and asked God for more open doors in your life. This may even change the way that you look at prayer in your life. Is that oftentimes we are just waiting for opportunities instead of praying for opportunities. Because sometimes they don't come to us. Our faith is applied when we say, God, I believe you're my, the one who provides for my every need. Lord, I believe that you have good things in store for me. Lord, I believe you have a spouse that's just right for me, a job that's just right for me, a situation that is just right for me. But if we don't include God in our conversation and in the equation, then we may never see those things come to pass. Can I challenge you today to pray to God, open more doors and open more opportunities. Paul mentions this idea of open doors before. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, and also in 2 Corinthians 2, 12. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says, For a great and effective door has been opened to me, but there are many adversaries. 2 Corinthians 2, 12, he said, When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by who? By the Lord. So in each case, Paul makes the point that it's the Lord who opens doors, And we can pray for open doors, but remember it's God who does the opening. Paul is asking for the Colossian church to pray that God would open the doors for him to go, for the word to go to places where he can't. Think about that. He's praying, you know, pray that the Lord would open doors for the word to go places where I can't. Part of Paul's prayer is that the Lord would bring people to him, but also that his words might be powerful and effective as a witness. He knew his writings would touch lives as well. When he couldn't travel, he would write. And even though Paul is limited by his house arrest, he makes the most of every opportunity to share Jesus. So I want you to think about this. Let God give you creativity in the situation you find yourself in. 
If you find yourself stuck, you might need to ask and pray to God. It's like, God, help me to see what I can do where I am right now. Paul's like, I'm under house arrest. I'm chained to a Roman guard. What can I do? Should I sit and feel sorry for myself? I'm a preacher. I'm a missionary. I travel. It's what I do. So I guess that's over, right? I guess that's done. I guess I don't do anything anymore. Paul says, well, what can I do? He says, I can write. I can entertain guests. I can mentor. Allow God to give you creativity to stop thinking of things in just one way. Can I challenge you in that? That the only way that this is going to happen is that it's only going to happen this way. And part of your frustration with God is coming under the fact that you only think it can be this way and God has to do it in this time frame under these circumstances with these people. If you flip the script and say, God, whatever you want to do, whatever your will is in this situation and circumstance, I'm willing to listen to it and receive it. Part of the problem with our prayer life is that we that when we're praying, we're asking for an answer, and the answer we're asking for is not the answer God is giving us, so we're missing it. That makes sense? Is it really cold in here? Let's uh, bump, the, bump it up a couple degrees in here, gentlemen. <laughs> you know when I'm cold up here, that it's cold, okay? Because I'm Italian, you know, I have ragu in my blood, so... so like I, I, there's never a circumstance where I'm like, I'm saying it's cold, it's cold. At least it works, right? Praise the Lord. So Paul, Paul says this, and so Paul talks about the, this creativity in Philippians, which is also another letter that he wrote while in prison. And he says this, he says uh, in uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 14, he says, I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me have certainly turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren, the Lord having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul says, okay, I'm in prison. Right, John Sadati, I'm in prison, okay? And how many people come to Jesus in prison or say they come to Jesus in prison? There's a lot. Some are sincere, some are not. Some of it's just a thing to time off sort of thing, you know, for good behavior. But Paul is an actual prisoner of the Lord. He said, you know, while I'm here, guess who I'm talking to? I'm talking to the guards. I'm talking to the people. I'm talking to people in the household of uh, of, of my captors, and I'm sharing with them. And, and it's not only uh, making a difference in them, but it's emboldening others to share the word also. Paul understood that you could chain up the messenger, but the message cannot be stopped. And he did not see his life under house arrest as a roadblock to his calling. This is a good place to pause, emphasize that delays and detours should not keep you from doing good for God. If you find yourself stuck, pray things loose. Pray for creativity to be productive wherever you find yourself. Paul was an apostle, a minister, a missionary. Nothing about him had changed only where he was. Nothing about you has changed. You're still God's son, God's daughter. You are still given an appointment to be his witness. You are still given a calling and gifts that he has equipped you to do. So nothing's changed about you. All this change is where you find yourself. And where you find yourself might be frustrating. But don't forget who you are and what God has gifted you to do. And use it. Or at least find a way to use it so that you can continue to be effective for the kingdom. 
Second Timothy 2.9, Paul says, For the sake of the gospel, I suffer as a criminal in chains. But the gospel itself is not chained. Paul knew the power of the gospel was not limited by his situation. God's work didn't stop just because he had stopped and was in prison. Paul didn't waste time on frustration or self-pity or feeling sorry for himself, but prayed that God would open new doors for him. Paul prayed to God that the Lord would give him opportunities to share the gospel with people, and whoever God brought to him, he shared the Lord. He didn't waste time, but used the opportunities God gave him. And he found that divine creativity to minister even though he couldn't travel and preach. Let's talk about open doors for a moment. Remember, open doors are opportunities. And you say, well, Pastor Dan, it feels like every door in my life is closed. Can I challenge you today to pray for God to open doors? Pray for him to move the mountains. Pray for him to give you opportunities because that's what God does. When things are stuck, when things seem unmovable, it is then up to us to call upon the Lord who is the one who is able to move things where they need to be and align things so that you can walk into them. I want you to get a hold of that so profoundly today that the Lord is the one that opens the doors. So number one, the first thing about this is get in the habit of praying to God for open doors. And number two, you have to make the most of those opportunities and open doors when they come. Let's talk about the first one. Getting in the habit of praying to God for open doors. When you pray for open doors, remember it's only God that can open and shut doors. In the heavenlies, in your life, God opens and he shuts doors. We see that in Revelation chapter 3, 7 and 8. These things says the one, says he who is holy and he who is true, referring to Jesus. He who has the key of David, who opens and no one can shut and shuts, no one can open. And I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Remember that God, remember that Christ has the keys to the situation that will open or shut doors. He has the power to open them and the power to shut them. Asking God for an open door will open things and opportunities to you that have previously been closed. When a door is closed, pray that God will open it and pray that God will open the right one. I want to share a thought with you. This is, the author is unknown here, but I want to share this quote with you. It says, it has been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Prayer is not telling God what to do or what to give. Prayer is asking God for that which he wants to do and give according to his will. What does that mean? Instead of God, do it my way, Instead, what you're praying is what Jesus prayed. If we can't see a better example of fulfilling and walking in the will of God, look at Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus did not want to go to the cross at that moment. It was the night before his death. He knew what crucifixion was. He had seen it. He had seen it. uh, It was a common thing in that day. It was an excruciating, terrible way to die. And Jesus prays a peculiar thing. He says, if it's possible, let this pass from me. But then he prays an important part to the prayer that we need to get a hold of. Not my will, but yours be done. 
Our prayer life needs to focus less around what we want and instead uh, looking at the situation and say, God, what do you want to do here? What do you want to do with my college time? What do you want to do with my career choices? What do you want to do in this? It feels like nothing's moving. Have you ever been there where it feels like nothing's moving? You ever been there where you feel like everything's stuck? It's in concrete or molasses, and nothing's moving forward. In those times, it's, it's the time for us to stop trying to pound down the door that has been the door that's been closed for the longest time, and start asking God, "Where's the opportunity here? God, what do you, where, what is your will in this circumstance?" It's less of me trying to get God to do what I want, and more of me trying to figure out, God, what do you want, and then doing it. Because one will see blessing, the other will see frustration. I'll say it one more time in case you weren't listening. One will bring blessing, the other will bring frustration. Because you'll pray and ask God for things and you'll demand things of God, but when God doesn't come through, you'll get frustrated and annoyed with him. But when you pray the will of God, the word of God, the truth of God, when you pray those things, then he comes through and he brings about an answer. Well, you say, well, pastor, what if I pray the word? That's good. Because you'll never be wrong when you pray the word. When you're lining yourself with the word of God and the will of God, when you pray these things, you know you're praying the will of God. So you can expect an answer. You can expect God to do something and bring it about in your circumstance and in your situation. But it's about recognizing instead of God, it's all about what I want. It's more, God, what do you want? Prayer is about aligning our will with his and doing his will. That's what's different about the world's sense of opportunities and God's. The world is about our own advancement, but God is about his advancement and seeking first his kingdom. Another thing about open doors, you need to try the handle and see what opens. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. No door for you will ever be opened if you don't try the knob. What does that mean? Give you an example. You can pray for a new job. Or if you don't have one, you can pray, Lord, give me a job. I need a job. But you never once fill an application online. Or when someone offers you a job, you're like, ah, I don't want that. And these are opportunities. And so, like, we, so we sometimes think that prayer is it. But prayer is is then demonstrate, once we pray, our faith is demonstrated by the things that we do. So if we need a job, guess what you gotta do? You, gotta, you actually gotta fill out an application online. You gotta talk to people who have opportunities to employ you. It's one thing to talk about something that needs to be done. It's another thing entirely to do it. Have you ever pushed on a door that's pull only? <laughs> so embarrassing. And that's, that's how life will be for you if you're not careful. We're saying it has to go this way, God, because that's where I want to go. And you're like, Ugh. You're like, dummy, pull on it. <laughs> and it opens for you. We're so busy and so caught up trying to try and do things our way that we miss it with God so often. When you pray, accompany your prayer and faith with action. And Landers said opportunities are usually disguised as hard work, so most people don't recognize them. Thomas Edison said that most people don't recognize opportunities because they're dressed in overalls and look like hard work. 
It's the truth. We just are waiting for things to kind of fall on us. And don't get me wrong, there are times where things where God will bless you and they'll come across your doorstep, they'll come in your mailbox, they'll come in a conversation with people. God will line those things up. But it's not an excuse for laziness. It's not an excuse for complacency. It's not an excuse for doing something with the time that you're in, regardless of what time you find yourself and what the circumstances are. Try the doors. Ask, seek, knock. Be persistent. But also, don't try and kick door, down doors that are closed. They're usually closed for a reason. Sometimes God closes a door for a reason. I really like this job. I really like this job. You're fired. <laughs> or laid off. And you're like, but God, I like that job. And he's like, I wanted you to do something else, but you were too comfortable. Can't tell you the number of times in my life where God's like, kicks you because I got comfortable. I started to rest on things. Instead of going, God, you know, what do you want me to do next? So sometimes you might find yourself out of a situation that you really enjoyed and a thing you really liked. Sometimes it's a wake-up call for us. That door is closed because there's another opportunity God wants to direct you towards and guide you in. If God closed the door in your situation, stop trying to kick it down. You're going to break your foot or you're going to find yourself forcing yourself into a situation that may not turn out the way you think it's going to be. I can't tell you the, the number of times I've talked to people and they're like, well, there were some no's, but I just went ahead and did it anyway. And there was a measure of success, but ultimately it was met with failure. Sometimes the door is closed because you're not ready for it. Sometimes the door is closed because it's not the right time. Sometimes the door is closed because you don't have the right key. In Acts 16, verse 6 and 7, Paul wanted to go to an area of Asia Minor, but it says that the Spirit of Jesus said no. But God, that's where I should go. We've been success after success and city after city. Why don't we go to the next city? It's right here. It makes perfect sense. God told him, the Spirit of Jesus told him no. The Holy Spirit told him no. Even by a dream, he was told no. So there are times where the door is closed and it's closed for a reason. It doesn't mean that you will never go there. It just means not now. And can you be okay with that? Don't try and force things instead of trusting God's timing. God will bring things together when the time is right. What about when you're presented with an open door or more than one? You ever been there? You pray for a job and three are now on your doorstep. Three are across your inbox on your in email or your LinkedIn profile or you get an invitation uh, you know, uh, in your mailbox and it comes across your desk. Or if you're going to college, you get like three or four different uh, college acceptance letters and you have to pray and say, well, God, what do you want me to do? What do you do when you have too many open doors? And you pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Our tendency is I'm going to go for what I think is best. We sometimes allow the good to get in the way of God's best. What I mean by that is that there are times where things seem really good. The promises that are being made, either at a job or at a college or different situations, they look really good. But at the end, they meet with failure or frustration. And sometimes there's an opportunity that you've overlooked that may pay a little bit less or they may not offer you as much in a scholarship, but is that where God wants you to go and ultimately where you'll find your calling and your success? If you find your calling and success, that's so much greater than anything that you can be paid monetarily. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
is that there's some things that are more important than money in this world. Sometimes it's happiness. Sometimes it's fulfillment. You can run yourself ragged trying to be happy or trying to chase after things that have to do with monetary or material resources. But if you trust God to lead you to make the right decision, he'll help you in that. So when you have situations and, and opportunities, whether it's your, you know, your first year of college and you take those general ed courses and you declare your major in your second year, and then like, I guess I'm, that's it. But then you get about midway into your second year and you decide you're going to go for criminal justice and you say, well, I want to do a psych- psychology instead. Or like my brother who went to, to Evangel College, out, Evangel University out in Springfield, Missouri, and he went to school for music. And about midway through his second year, he says, I don't want to do music, I want to do psychology. And that's his career now. He realized at a certain point, like, I know what I thought I was here for, but now I'm here for something else. Let God speak to you about changing something. Now, don't be in your third year or your fourth year and go, I think I want to do something else. That's the wrong time to do that. But at the the times in your life where you find yourself at the crossroads, ask God, say, okay, I don't know. I have so many options. I'm overwhelmed by the options. Instead, say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you see me doing? What, 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 what do you want me to, to, to dedicate my life to? And you want to know the key to that is that God already put it in you what you should be doing. He already put it in you. What do you mean? I can't find it anywhere, Pastor. It's not in my pockets. It's, it's in you. What gets you excited about doing things for God? What gets you excited about life? Those are the things that God's called you to. Well, I like helping people. That's what you're supposed to do. Well, I, I like putting things together, engineering. That's what God's called you to. What about, you know, other things? These are things, as God puts these things in you, they come out of you because when you are trying to do stuff, when you uh, find yourself frustrated with the, the workload of school and demands and schedule and all those other things, what's the most important thing in those moments is that if it's in you, deep inside of you, you won't need anybody to motivate you. Big difference between uh, high school and college. Mom and dad aren't kicking you to get it done. It's up to you to find that fire. And so, but if it's in you, you go, I know what I'm supposed to do. You can envision yourself doing it. You can see yourself. I hope I'm not going to. Are you with me today? I got a lot of like, confused faces right now. And so I'm just kind of like, that's not me, Pastor. I'm not in college. I'm not listening to that. But do you get the principle? When I was 12 years old, when God called me, it scared me to death. But there'd be at nights I could see myself preaching and hear myself preaching. Why? Because the, God put that in me. That wasn't in little Danny Valeri at 12 to 13 years old. That wasn't my desire. That was God putting something in you. And when God puts something in you, whether it's to worship or whether it's to preach or whether it's to help people or whether it's just that God's given you the mind to put things where they go and to organize. That's a gift from God. Recognize it's in there and it will keep you going long after the mundaneness of the daily workload and daily grind keeps you going. Because at the end of the day, if you're a nurse and you say, God, today was awful. Today was a meat grinder of a day. But you say, I'm helping people. And then you get up the next day and you're like, I'm still inspired, right? Right? Still inspired because in you, God put it in you. He put the gifts and the talents and the abilities in you to keep you going. You still with me today? 
So you pray for the opportunity. You pray for the door. God speaks to you. He says, here's the opportunities. Here's the doors. And when you pray, and God shows you where to go, it's like, okay, you know what you need to do? You need to walk through it. If you pray, God, help me to share my faith with more people, and then he brings people across your pathway to share your faith with, you better do it. Why? You prayed for it. If you pray for opportunities and situations to come up, and then they come your way, be wise and discerning enough to recognize and go, God, I see that you put this opportunity in front of me, and so I'm going to seize this opportunity. I'm going to go for it. So often we're like a person that wants to talk to us about Jesus, or they start talking about things that are going on in their life, and sometimes it comes at the most inopportune times. It's inconvenient. You're in a rush. You're in between places. It's a God-given opportunity. It's a God-given open door where he's aligned that for you to share. If you've prayed for, Lord, let it stop raining so I can actually get some work done, and it stops raining and you sit on your butt and do nothing, you've missed the opportunity that God's given you. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you pray for it and God presents it to you, do something with it. And when you do it, you are demonstrating and exercising your faith. Secondly, this, and I wrap this up here, Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. That when it's presented to you, you take hold of it. Paul talks about this uh, to the uh, Colossian believers. He tells them uh, to make the most of every opportunity because you don't know who's watching. One, watch how you live. Watch how you live. Because other people are observing what you do. Secondly, by praying, in verses 2 and 3, it says, devote yourself to prayer and pray for us at the same time as well. Prayer helps us connect with God and to connect with his plan. When we're connected with God and connected with his plan, everything else falls into that. There has to be a, a situation where as you look at God's plan for your life and you see it as a, as a road that goes forward, every decision that you make will either keep you on the road or take you off of his purposes. And when it takes you off of your purposes, you go, nope, that's not for me. Once you know what God wants you to do with your life, with your direction, every decision, that, every opportunity that comes your way that can be an off-ramp off that highway, you have to say, if that's not leading me in the same direction as where God wants me to go, then the answer is no, regardless of the opportunity. By being thankful, verse 2, he says, Pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. When a person is grateful, they are thankful for the opportunities God provides and for what God has done for them. A person that's a complainer, and hear me when I say this, okay? And this is so important in your prayer life because look at the example of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. They're in between Egypt and the promised land. Contrast the difference between when they were in Egypt and they cried out to God for salvation, God, after 400 years, brought Moses. When you cry out and say, God, we're oppressed, we're in difficulty, we're, we're challenged, help, God helps. Contrast that with them being set free, being in the wilderness, wandering around, like, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. And then God provides man in the wilderness. Why have we got to eat this all the time? God provides, you know, meat for them to eat. Well, why has it got to be quail? Can't it be something else? 
And it said that God got mad at their complaining. There's a difference between crying out and complaining. And this is important for you to get a hold of in your prayer life. If all your prayer life is lamenting and complaining and, and impugning the character of God because of God, why aren't you doing this? Why haven't you done that? Don't expect an answer. Expect, in, in fact, expect the opposite. Expect God to say, you know what? You're stubborn. You're stiff-necked, and I'm not going to help you. Instead, pray and say, God, I'm frustrated by this. This is difficult. Uh, that person's not getting better than I'm praying for. Uh, Lord, this job just seems to grind onward. God, would you open a door for me? Would you help me? And it's always the Lord's good will and pleasure to help those who are his children. By walking with wisdom towards those who are unbelievers, verse 5, that we need to be wise in the way that we act, conducting ourselves in a way that's fitting of a Christian life. Alfred Barnes says, The world judges religion not from books or preaching, nor by the conduct of its founder and its apostles, but what they see in the daily walk and conversations of the members of his church. What non-Christians see in you will be the example they think all Christians are like. Be the exception. Be a good representative of Christ of the world. By making the most of every opportunity, when it presents itself, recognize this is a divine moment. This is a God-lined-up situation. And seize upon it. And by choosing your words carefully, verse 6, your speech must be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you know how to respond to each person. Salt was not only a seasoning, like we have salt, it says it adds some flavor to it, but it was also preservative. He says, when your speech, let it be seasoned with salt. In other words, don't let your words fall flat and be bland and boring. As though following God is just like, yeah, you should follow God. You know, I got a church, I guess. You know what I mean? That when you talk about the Lord, it should be inspiring. It should be uplifting. It should be something you get excited about. There should be something seasoned in your words that people pick up on. They go, That's, that sounds really appeasing and appetizing to me. I want what you have. But if you go around like life is terrible all the time, life is boring, nothing good ever happens to me, then people are going to be like, well, you're just like me. Why would I want what you have? So we need to change the way we look at things and change the way that we talk. That we should, our words should be inspiring and exciting, but it also should have an element to it that it preserves and saves. There was no refrigeration back then. They salted meat till it dried out, and then when they uh, needed to use it, they put it in a boiling pot, and they, they made it so they was able to eat again. And that kept uh, infection and disease out of it, and so it was a good way to do that. It says, you know what? Your words should be the type that save people. Your words should be the type that when they talk to you, you point them to Jesus. And when the opportunity comes, you point them to Jesus and show them that God is the most important thing in your life. How are you doing that? I'm going to ask the worship team to join me up front. You've been so gracious and patient today. But I want to encourage you today that God is the one who opens the doors. The Lord is the one who opens doors and today, I choose to believe that God is still going to do that in your life. And that if you found yourself stuck, if you found yourself 
in neutral that God is going to be the one that opens the doors that were previously closed to you. My question to you today, are you praying for opportunities? Are you praying for open doors? Or have you just given up all hope and all thought that God could do something in this situation and in your circumstances? If that's the case, I want to pray with you and for you today that God will indeed once more open that which has been previously closed. Can we do that right now? Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads and maybe... You're in a situation right now where you feel as though everything's stuck and things aren't moving forward. You feel like every door has been closed in your face and shut. And you feel like your prayer life has amounted to nothing. And that everything that you ever hoped for and dreamed for has just been kept from you at arm's length. If that's where you're at today, I want to pray for you that God will start to open the doors, not only for opportunities for God to advance you and to move you forward, but in order for you to be used for God's kingdom for his glory. If that's where you're at today, will you raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need those doors opened right now. Lift your hand wherever you are. Say, Lord, pray for me. I need those doors opened right now. For some of you here today, God, you have to make some decisions that are very important in the next few weeks and next few months. I want you to know today that God is not an author of confusion, but that he will make clear to you what you need to do. He'll make clear to you what you need to do in college. He'll make clear to you what you need to do in your career. He'll make clear to you what you need to even do in the health of a family member. Today, if you're saying, Pastor, I've got situations where I have to make big decisions and I need God to show me which one's the right one, just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. If you raise your hand at all, will you just keep that hand up in the air? Let's pray and ask God right now that he'll open doors. I believe the door is, the Lord is going to stand by that door, put that key in the door, and that latch is going to open up and it's going to open to things that were previously thought impossible that were previously closed to you. I believe that today, that today is a watershed moment, a turning point moment in your family, in your career, in your future education, that the Lord is going to do that right now. Would you apply your faith with me in this prayer? Would you be in agreement with me as I pray this prayer right now, that God will begin to do it and move in your situation? Let's pray. Gracious God, today we look to you. Lord, we trust you today. You are our beginning and our end, our alpha and our omega. You are at the beginning of the situation. You'll be at the end. You are there at the beginning of time. You'll be at the end of time. You are at the beginning of our lives, and you know what we are created for and what we're meant to do, and you'll be there when we leave this life. So I pray today, gracious God, that you would open the doors, Lord, that were previously closed. Lord, that you would open doors of opportunity, of employment, Lord God, of, of education, Lord God, of situations that need to come about and take place. I pray, God, that you would just move things forward that have been previously stuck. We pray there be a shaking, there be a movement, Lord God. Lord, you're able to move the mountains. Whenever a mountain is moved, you first feel the rumblings. And I pray to God that we would feel the rumblings right now in different lives and situations. I pray, oh God, that each person would experience, Lord, the movings and the beginning of the movings of something that's going to be great, a shift that will take place in the life of each individual today. Open the doors that have been closed, oh God. 
Swing them wide open, Lord God, so that they can walk through for your glory and honor. I pray for those that need to make decisions today. Lord, there's too many opportunities and sometimes they're overwhelming. Sometimes they seem too much for us to comprehend and what to do. But I pray for divine wisdom, divine creativity. Lord, by your spirit, I pray that you would make clear to them the way and the direction they're supposed to go in so that, Lord, there would be no confusion. But, Lord God, that it would align with your purpose, your plan, and your will for their lives, Lord God. We choose to trust you, Lord, to walk through the doors you present to us and that, Lord God, we will submit ourselves to your will and your plan and we stand in agreement on it, asking this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you believe that today, say amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.